This episode of Talking Simpsons is brought to you by Audible, and you listeners can go to audibletrial.com slash lasertime and get started with a free 30-day trial and get a free audiobook. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to a very special episode of Talking Simpsons. This is the Laser Time Podcast Network's chronological exploration of the Simpsons. I am your host as always, Bob Mackey, who else is here with me today? Henry Gilbert, hi! Uh, Christopher chronologically breaking Batista <laughs> for a very special episode. This is a first for us. Yes. It's, it's something I always lamented that we the Simpsons gets a summer off and we never do. There's no break in between seasons of... Yes. Uh, in between seasons for us, for we just us, start yeah. up immediately, and it's nice to have some breathing room with an amazing special thing that we got to do. That's right, and if you didn't see what episode you're listening to, this is our very special interview with Bill Oakley, who graciously agreed to talk to us for an hour, yeah. and it's especially meaningful to me because Bill and Josh, his writing partner, wrote my favorite episodes, ran my favorite seasons, and wrote yeah. my favorite episode, Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 1, yeah. so just getting to talk to him, asking questions he probably hasn't answered before was a treat, and I think the interview went astoundingly well. Yeah, yeah I was super duper excited for it shout out to eric nagel yeah. oh the thank best you eric. friend of the show <laughs> we've ever had he set us up with this so thank you very much eric if you're listening we yeah. we really appreciate it when we started this i dream it would be a dream to speak with any simpsons writer for it and they they are you know they're they're on twitter you can yeah. find them yeah. but it's not an easy thing just to get them to talk with you especially for like a whole hour like bill oakley who again a television like yeah. executive producer, like a writer with a million credits, we couldn't even touch on mm-hmm. in our interview. Like we didn't talk about Portlandia. I, yeah. I was kind of Futurama. interested. If you drama, the regular show he wrote on that mm-hmm. for oh, some yeah. episodes, like Mission Hill. We Mission talked a Hill. little bit about Mission Hill. Yeah, yeah. Um, among the things, just to tease the interview a little bit, that he, uh, man, revealing who, what young writers are assigned. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, the transition in between, like all of the writers leaving. Uh, from the, from the where first we are four right now in the season and, and conversely on our Patreon, which supports this show, patreon.com dot slash time, we have our season four wrap up show. So this is a, you got two shows this week instead of a true episode, but <laughs> all like super granular Simpsons information. Now we the season four episode uh, wrap up. What does that entail exactly? Well, I go through every story that was in Daily Variety at mm-hmm. that time, so you get a lot more behind the scenes stuff we didn't touch on that just happened over the entire season. Yeah. including some new to the listener details about the Tracy Ullman lawsuit against the I, Simpsons. Yeah, I don't even remember that happening. I didn't even think it was spoken of until Serious Jibber Jabber. <laughs> uh, the, the beginning of the syndication mm-hmm. and even some extra details on the Simpsons Yellow album, which we already <laughs> talked about on a Laser Time yeah. podcast. And we True. also spend a great amount of time talking about the basically 10 or 11 people who left the show and what they went on to do mm-hmm. after the Simpsons. Many, Most of which was coming back to the Simpsons yeah. and writing eventually, again. Yes. Yeah, eventually. eventually, but we've done that for, uh, I guess, the Every season so far, uh, season season two, three, and four wrap up on so far, Patreon yeah, there is no exclusive, as well as the first season of Talking Simpsons because they're the ones who help make this show a reality. Yes, so that's all. That is on patreon.com slash laser time. $5 a month or more, a pledge will get you access to that. And we really appreciate everybody who has given to the Patreon. Mm-hmm. It, it helps make this happen. Yeah. We love doing it. And 
I, I also feel like we should give a mm-hmm. we don't totally get a bio on Bill, so we yeah. should just mention like Bill Oakley, in case you don't know, he was started as a writer on The Simpsons with his writing partner, Josh Weinstein. They uh, connected in college and then entered the world of Hollywood writing. I believe they went to grade school together. They were friends in grade school and then they reconnected in college. Yeah, they've got a great history together. They are longtime friends. They came on in season four, first as freelancers who were then hired on as the writers and... They he worked from there, and so we really we really dig into season four and five, and yeah. a bit of after seasons four, five, and six. Oakley and Weinstein became the executive producers of the show for season seven, <laughs> right? And so we get a bit into that too. We we talk a whole lot about their entire his in a lot about his career. Yeah. Though honestly, even though he talked for fifty minutes, we could totally I could chat with him yeah. again when we get to season end of season five, end oh, of season yeah. mid season six. Great I dude. could easily really talk candid, to him. and I was more I was most fascinated looking at the transition season what it's like to be one of three existing simpsons writers at the beginning of season five and one of them is conan o'brien like yes like how do you how do you carry this torch and it's yeah. in hindsight it's amazing that they did to, yeah to such a wonderful they extent. didn't lose the quality yeah, yeah. and now oakley uh this is something bob and i have in common too that in in the pre-podcast world I would love listening to the commentaries over and over and Same over here, again. Yeah, while I'm playing a video game or yeah. doing something, just having them on in the background. And, and so I got to know Bill and Josh very well just through those, and they were some of the most like open and honest about production and everything yeah. in those commentaries. Yeah, not to speak for Bill, but like you guys said it. He we was he says in the interview he was a fan of the show before he came aboard, and he was a fan of the show afterwards. He seems yeah. to know enough about the history of the show before and after and he w- his tenure there follow him on the on twitter as uh he's that bill oakley mm-hmm. and he and his uh writing partner josh weinstein mm-hmm. will tweet actual pages of scripts that didn't make it into the show yeah. notes they wrote they'll tweet about episodes they couldn't make it's they're they're just memes, great historians memes straight off frankie yes. too. they mm-hmm. they do it all it's really great and again i am i'm so happy he talked to us like i'm on a high still yeah. from chatting <laughs> with him i think you guys will enjoy this sorry for breaking format and immediately going into Homer's Barbershop Quartet. I think it was worth it. But that'll be the next one anyway. Yeah, it's definitely and, coming. This is yeah. worth it. And we really want to talk to more Simpsons writers, so hopefully this yes. is not the first and only time we'll get to talk to one. We're not dicks. Yes. <laughs> We're very friendly and we love their work. So. Yeah. We talked, yeah, I hope Bill can just tell all the rest of them in their like secret meetings of <laughs> Simpsons writers like, well, these guys didn't kill me and they weren't, and they were nice. So I'm sure there's a pool hall they all hang out in. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, after this break, we will get right into that interview. The Simpsons will be right back. Thank you guys so much for listening, and if you like listening to stuff, it's a good thing this episode is brought to you by Audible. And before I tell you more about it, know that you can go to audibletrial.com slash lasertime and get started with a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial of all Audible is. What is Audible? They've got over 180,000 different titles to choose from, ranging from audiobooks, comedy albums, radio shows, some of my favorite old-timey radio shows, and you can listen to them all on your iPhone, Android, MP3 player, desktop, tablet, doesn't matter, wherever you can plug in head Phones. Audible's got all your, your bestsellers, your Game of Thrones, your Harry Potters, the latest biography from whatever comedian is you like, and they have become my go-to place to get audiobooks for an incredibly low cost. So once again, that's Audible, people, and you can go to audibletrial.com slash lasertime and get a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial of the service. 
Are you already tired of 2017? Jump into the past with 302010, a weekly look back at what happened 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and 10 years ago. Here's something you may remember from 1987. Alf! Had a clip show episode yes. was ah! based on the fact that he shocked himself in the bathtub and the got amnesia season. in the first season. So Jeez. they, yeah, look. But it was actually controversial because he electrocuted himself in the scene, and then parents called in saying like that's too easily imitatable, I guess. So they changed it that he uh, just got hit on the head, which is the standard stock cliche way of getting amnesia. Yeah, that I can't show. replicate. So they spend the entire episode oh, well. reminding them of their previous adventures. This and is the... January. I know. This mm. means they've only been on the air for like four months. Yeah. Hey, yeah. You got a lot of clips of Elf. There's like nine episodes to a, remember. You know it's a tougher production. There's puppeteering and more stuff. And like involved. the first season has to be in the can. Yeah. yeah. Like it's January. I bet there's also a way like put this hey, at the end or You something. kids like Elf. This ap- episode is just Elf clips. There's no That's true. Yeah. That's you know, true. father and son stupid talks, who cares? Oh, the fucking ninety year old dad. Oh, Elf. I constantly have to take a shit. Oh honey, I love you so much. Oh my goodness. Alf and worried Ronald Reagan won't get reelected. Alf, oh. he's in his oh. second term. <laughs> For a third, I wanted to be king. I'm much older than I seem. Oh, why do I have a two-year-old? That's thirty twenty ten. A weekly look back at what happened in music, movies, TV, and games every Thursday, right here on the Laser Time Network. So I'm very, very, very proud to welcome a very special guest at Talking Simpsons, Bill Oakley. He was the showrunner for season seven and eight. He wrote several episodes uh, prior to that. Uh, he was the creator of Mission Hill, and, he, and he's currently working on uh, Portlandia. Uh, welcome to, uh, to the show, Bill. Hey, thank you. I'm proud to be here. I should add, by the way, that I was showrunner and wrote those episodes along with my partner, Josh Weinstein. That's right. That's right. We don't want to give Josh the uh, short shrift here. Right. (laughs) So uh, it's great to be here. Thanks. So right now we are in uh, currently at the very beginning of season five. And uh, I think really what was on our minds the most is the the huge uh, turnover in staff on The Simpsons at that time right Henry yeah you know uh, the look at it was and you hear on the commentaries Kate Fear was like senioritis for a lot of the staff but you uh, Josh Conan O'Brien and I think a couple others were were holdovers into season five so yeah what was the yeah wait when when exactly did you come into the show uh, that was freaky Um, yes in fact as soon as you said season five that's exactly what I thought about like it's burned into my memory like the weirdness (laughs) of late season four early season five this Mm -hmm. is all like super inside baseball, but maybe that's what you guys want to hear. Oh about. yeah, the most inside of baseball. <laughs> uh, Josh and I started when we began when we were started working on the show. I guess it was writing Marge gets a job, and that was like they were still in very early season four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got hired pretty much after turning that script in, which was super awesome, of course. Mm-hmm. And they were we were just about uh, recording the monorail episode, I think. Anyway, so we were there for all of season four and. Um, Conan had been hired about six months before us, mm-hmm. I think. And then shortly after, I mean, I guess a little bit after us, they hired Dan McGrath, um, who was also someone that we had worked with in the past. And then basically everybody left. Yes, it was it was crazy because <laughs> at the end of season four, yes, you're totally right that Cape, Cape Fear was like um, senioritis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like the last episode recorded for season four. And then it was like, goodbye. <laughs> and mm-hmm. literally everybody on the staff just left. This was also during a golden age for 
TV comedy writers because yeah. this was the golden age of the development deal. Right, right. They're, they were paying anybody who could pick up a pen a fortune to write sitcom scripts. And uh, not that the people on The Simpsons were extraordinarily talented, but they were at all getting great offers to yeah. go to other places. And literally every writer on the staff from atop all the way down, except for Conan, me and Josh, and Dan McGrath left. And so like... There was this extremely weird period, I guess maybe began like a couple weeks after the recording of Cape Fear, where there was nobody there. And <laughs> it was just it was just us. And like there was an, a power vacuum doesn't even begin to describe <laughs> it. We didn't even have a boss. We just showed up like oh, like man. Joe. There was nobody telling us what to do. And, and I think somebody said, well, somebody will get hired to run the show <laughs> at some point. <laughs> and so Conan and me and, and Dan McGrath and Josh just all came in like – into this empty office and kind of sat around like, what should we do? And then we started making up, we just like started making up stories for season five in a real casual fashion. Like we would go out to Malibu and have lunch <laughs> and toss around ideas and stuff. And um, that went on for like, I would say six weeks. And it was definitely the weirdest, one of the weirdest experiences in my career, but it was super fun because there was low pressure, obviously. Yeah. Low, we, uh, I, we, I imagine weird. It, it's you're in a low pressure situation on one of the most high profile shows that's ever happened and in hindsight it worked out pretty okay but i just imagine that have to be slightly terrifying still it wasn't so terrifying because it wasn't our responsibility <laughs> to be honest <laughs> okay. like if the whole thing had derailed we would have been we were the lowest guys on the totem pole pretty oh, much good. so it, oh, i know that role. it wasn't our responsibility but it, it it was it was and i think i guess it sounds like this was covered adequately on the dvds but yes definitely a, a weird time then uh, dave merkin took over uh, for season five so like what you know? What was the change from Gene and Reese to to Merkin behind the scenes? Like what were? How'd you compare them as bosses, for lack of a better word? It was super weird. Um, <laughs> first of all, nobody had ever. Okay, ultimately, we all ended up getting along with Merkin, and everything got ironed out. But I would say it was rocky at the beginning. None of us had ever even met Merkin. Mm-hmm. And I guess I would say that we, me, uh, Josh, and Conan, and Dan McGrath were like. It was just, it's weird to have somebody come in and be your boss and like mm-hmm. you've been there for much longer than them. Right. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and not, I guess not much longer, but more like a year longer. Mm-hmm. And the boss is telling you what to do. And we're like, well, that's not the way we used to do things. Of course, that's normal. I would say in a, in a work situation, yeah. in a real office, that probably happens all the time. There's a new boss and like the boss wants to do things his way and you got to do it. I would say that we were probably spoiled and not used to doing things <laughs> like that. <laughs> so yeah, it was totally weird. It was to- everything. There was a certain way that things had been done since day one, and it was all kind of invented by Sam Simon. Mm. And David Merkin came in and had a way of doing things from other shows he'd worked on, great shows like you know Newhart and um, his own show Get a Life, which we all loved. Oh, um, and but it just wasn't our way. And so I would say, probably for the first eight to ten months, there was a fair amount of friction, especially between me and Josh and and Dave Merkin, just about the way things were happening. And of course, we were like we were just barely above the lowest level writers so who are we to <laughs> fight with him right. but i think that's ultimately why we ended up why he assigned us just to write five episodes <laughs> and so we spent most of the year in our office writing those episodes was the tone of the show fully decided upon because we were on this little adventure where we chronologically are going through the show and it really goes from like sitcom to edgier sitcom and and later on seems to embrace being a cartoon and being silly it, yeah i mean let's just say that like things in in the middle of season four, mm-hmm. things started to get probably the monorail episode being the watershed. Things started to get kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, it had been a fairly realistic show 
in many episodes, you know, like Lisa Substitute, for yeah. instance, would be a good example. It could easily have been a live action show. Yeah. And it could easily have been. And it was very realistic with the exception of a few cutaways. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and then around the time that the monorail episode started to happen, um, and also I would say maybe some of the senioritis started to happen, mm-hmm. it, the, re- the realism kind of drifted away. Mm-hmm. And this was also around the time that Sam departed because Sam had 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 a complicated deal, which kind of like let him basically leave the show mm-hmm. right around that time. And I think that Sam, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Cause that was before my time, but I think Sam had been kind of an advocate of the realistic stuff. So yeah. who knows? Anyway, this stuff was still really funny and there was a ton of hilarious mm-hmm. people on the show, including Mike and Al who are running it and George and Swartzwelder and Conan and BD and all those guys. So yeah. In any case, the show had gotten crazier, but I think people liked that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, in retrospect, Maybe our complaints were all stupid at the time. I think that Josh and I wanted it to say – Josh and I wanted it to be a little bit more realistic like the show from Lisa's Substitute and things like that. And I think Dave Merkin saw it as more of a cartoon universe, which is totally valid given what had happened just a few episodes earlier with the monorail and stuff. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So going back to the transition between four and five, were there any hurt feelings or did anyone see the mass exodus of writers as a sort of betrayal or was it just considered show business? It seemed at that point the show could not get any better. And if I was on the staff, I would be like, let's keep the band together, guys. But I'm not sure what the culture was like at the time or if it was just considered, you know, of course, we're going to get other jobs. We're writers. We're not going to stay on the same job forever. You know, I can't really say what there were. I don't I, I, I wasn't witness to any hurt feelings. I think everybody was like, this is a gold. <laughs> this is a gold mine. <laughs> We've created this incredible show and it's time to reap the rewards. So let's go off to development deals and 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 get some of that money that like that we have earned and basically like this is exactly what happened uh, this has happened to a number of shows like this like mash i heard or seinfeld like when the shows were big hits all the writers suddenly left because they all had opportunities to go create their own shows Mm -hmm. and that was what happened around this point at the simpsons and as far as i know there weren't any hurt feelings there easily could have been at levels that i wasn't privy to right uh so you know the episodes that we've covered so far the uh you and just wrote marge gets a job and marge and change like i i noticed with both of them they were marge centric at least in the title but also they push really hard on on the the for lack of a better word funner characters like burns or lionel hutz you know <laughs> what did that come in the rewrite or in the second run or, or how, how did that work out that came in the rewrite like this is I think I may have said this before, but I don't know. If it, it may not be that much of a secret. Like the people, they, they get, the young, the new people have to write the March episodes, <laughs> you know? So like the, so like, you know, the seat, the guys who've been there for a long time, like John Vitti, they get to write the Homer episodes and the Bart episodes. And, and the, the March episodes are, are foisted off on the, on the youngest, newest guys. So that's why Josh and I had two March episodes that year. That was a different, experience because that was a story that conan made up mm-hmm. and was assigned to us and then like i think we did a fairly good job yeah. obviously it was fairly it was good enough to get hired but it was like a when a freelancer writes an episode it's going to be rewritten 70 to 80 percent no matter what just mm-hmm. because you know the script is good but it's not what they're doing and it was also like it just wasn't quite right for the tone of the show at that point anyway they rewrote it heavily and the same margin change was a different animal where it's like josh and i <laughs> wrote a really realistic episode mm-hmm. like again we, we were fans of the realistic so it really was much more realistic about marge going to prison and then in the rewrite 
<laughs> it got turned into this nut. I would say the nuttiest episode we ever had our name on. Um, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily what we had in mind, but it was funny stuff. And your question is totally right. Yes, all that crazy stuff comes in the rewrite because they're like, okay, we're going to cut out this two-page scene <laughs> where Marge is sent to jail and it's a realistic, sad scene, and we're going <laughs> to replace it with a two-line scene. <laughs> so that's where Lionel Hutz comes in, oh, yeah. Sea Captain, all that crazy crap because you just want to get a laugh and move past it. <laughs> so yes, that's that's how that happens. I, I've always heard that. Marge is one of the harder characters to write for, having to remain a, a grounded, real center in the middle of this insane universe. So I can I can see how that can get head to the chopping block over mm-hmm. the course of rewrites. Well, also, she doesn't. I think we've discovered like okay. First of all, Marge is a pretty good as far as like cartoon moms go. Mm-hmm. She's actually quite good because yeah. cartoon mom is always the worst character in every cartoon. <laughs> That's where true. it's like, what are you supposed to do with this character? This character is only there to object to the crazy yep. schemes of the husband and stuff, you know? <laughs> oh, like, father figure. <laughs> right. So Marge is like, Marge is pretty good. And I think over time we found more comic fodder from her personality, which is that she's really provincial. Mm. She's only heard of two spices, you know? She's only, <laughs> she, she, she's just really, she's a real stick in the mud and, and she hasn't had much life experience, but she's also kind of opinionated. Yeah. Um, and surprisingly self-aware at times. Yeah. So she, we found more, but like just the comedy and characters like this usually comes from their foibles and their flaws. Mm-hmm. And Marge doesn't have that many, which makes her harder to write. Going back to the season four transition, we'll move on to later seasons soon. But um, I'm just curious, how much of season four was actually completed by the season five staff? It seemed with so many people leaving, so many things were rewritten towards the end of season four. I'm just curious as to what season five's team impact was on that season. Oh, nothing. They, part of the season four deal was that the season four people had to complete better. Their ah, stuff. Okay. So that's the way it always works. You know, Josh and I completed this season eight while season nine was being done. And so like, Mike and Al, like most of the staff was long gone, but Mike and Al were coming back constantly to do all the post-production and music scoring and editing of episodes from season four. Okay. Wow, while still working on The Critic? Yes, yeah. I believe so. I think The wow. Critic was just kind of ramping up at that point. Uh, okay. Okay, I, just, yes, I was Chris. more curious, like, what was the first, with the new staff, like, what was the first episode of season five you can remember finally taking shape uh, within the new writer room? I feel like it was the Bobo. It was it was Rosebud, but like yeah. Rosebud actually came out came out great. Like the thing about these episodes is that that was Schwarzwalder, wasn't it, Rosebud? Mm-hmm. I um, think so. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so like we had a deal with like it was a weird situation because Schwarzwalder was writing five episodes and Josh and me were writing five episodes, mm-hmm. which is already ten out of the twenty two episodes of the whole year. So like it, it was kind of a strange situation where you know only twelve of the episodes were being done by the staff, mm-hmm. so to speak, and then the rest of them like although. Ours and Schwarzwalder's were rewritten. They weren't rewritten that much. It, it was a different type of thing, but for Rosebud is the first one I remember happening, and it wasn't that weird because it was Schwarzwalder. He knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. The story was really clear-cut, really simple, and I think it came out – it's a perfectly – good episode in oh. fact it's many people love it i, I mean so, i just watched citizen kane last it was on turner classic movies last night as of this recording <laughs> and i was always curious who is the big citizen kane nerd on the simpson staff i don't know it was there were lots of references to that tossed in and i don't know if there was one specific person i think it was just kind of like a, a cultural touchstone that everybody was familiar with yeah i don't think i had watched it until they forced us to watch it for more <laughs> job <laughs> Uh, you and Josh went from writing a lot of season five and six to then like becoming the showrunners of seven and eight. Was there like an interview process for that? Or was it just kind of just found in time of how you proved yourself working on the, on the show? Like how, how did they pick a new showrunner? You know, God bless David Merkin. I'm, he recommended us for it. I mean, like usually it's the person, I don't know. Usually it's only happened four times in history. We've only had four different <laughs> showrunners, right? So 
in our case, Merkin recommended us. I mean, we had been there the longest. Obviously, it would have been Conan if Conan Conan would have been there longer than us. But he suddenly left to become a famous talk show host, <laughs> oh. and then then we became immediately after only having been on the show for whatever like fourteen months, mm-hmm. we were the senior guy. We'd been there longer than anyone else on the show, <laughs> which suddenly thrust us into this position of being the grand old men, even though we'd only been there for fourteen <laughs> months and we were what, like twenty six years old. <laughs> Merkin recommended us, and we were grateful to him for doing that. And I think. It was just like, I don't know, it was natural. We had been, we were hoping to do that. Um, I think we would have left if we had not become the showrunners at that point, you know, go off and work on our own stuff. But it was the opportunity that we had been really eager for because we had our own way that we wanted to do the show and we got to do it. And it was because there was no, at that point, there was no interference from anybody. And we were totally, we just were left alone to do what we wanted for like two straight years, which is the rarest opportunity anyone will ever get in. So uh, one of the great things about following you on Twitter, Bill, and Josh as well, is that you are both really great historians for The Simpsons. You seem to have kept every table read script or at least all of your notes or a a huge portion of them. And I've been seeing you tweet out these pitches for episodes that were never made. I'm just curious, can you go over a few of the episodes that you maybe wanted to make but couldn't? Uh, Because there's been some gems you've tweeted out, but they're kind of lost the time, those tweets. Mm -hmm. There weren't really that many episodes that we wanted to make that, that we couldn't. Because as I said, like we were operating totally without any strictures except for the censor. Mm-hmm. The only episode that we wanted to make that we didn't was the Scientology episode. That, <laughs> which, because you know, Nancy Cartwright, has, I'm not going to go into detail on this podcast, but look <laughs> right, it up so if you want to. Yeah. George pick, pitched this hilarious episode, which was just like, we didn't want to go into it with, with them at that point. So that was the only one that we wanted to do that we didn't. I mean, by the end of season eight, we were like, <laughs> I felt like we were running on fumes, like, and we were like, we didn't, we didn't, we ran out of episodes we wanted to do. <laughs> so it wasn't like there were tons of episodes that we're dying to do. Like, I think we had about, I don't know, 35 episodes we wanted to do and we did them plus wow. seven more. <laughs> I seem to recall you tweeting about ideas that didn't work. One I have a foggy memory of is Homer gets 10,000 surplus army Jeeps. Is that <laughs> I something? I love that idea. That was, can you, can you talk about hey, that? There's a lot of, you, you're making a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Let me clarify for you. Yes. Okay. This, <laughs> this is an idea that Josh and I wanted to do that we could never figure out what happened. We could never figure out the ending for it. But like <laughs> real life, it's called Bart gets 144 Jeeps. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. I, I had the number wrong and the character. Yeah. So the uh, this is a real rumor from like the, around the end of World War II. There was like an urban legend that there would be these ads in the back of like popular mechanics and other magazines like that, that you could buy surplus army jeeps from World War II that would come unassembled, packed in grease, but you had to buy them in bulk. So like you could buy, you know, and people, I think I gather that in the 40s and 50s, people were always talking about, you know, if we could just get some friends to pony up all this money, we could, we could buy 144 jeeps and sell them and whatever. So we were like this. I found that to be a fascinating <laughs> idea, especially like as a kid. Can you imagine oh. how amazing that would be and all that crazy crap that was like in the back of comic books that you could order? Oh, yeah. And like Bart, like the whole idea of getting your own vehicle. <laughs> so Bart, the idea was Bart finds an old copy of Argosy or, or whatever it was. It sends away for this thing and it like gets sent off to some sort of military supply depot where the guy doesn't know what's going on. And he just fills the request and Bart gets 144 Jeeps packed in grease and uh, <laughs> and people he sells them for like five bucks a piece. Mm-hmm. And everybody in Springfield is driving around in a Jeep. And like because the cars are so cheap, it doesn't matter if you wreck one and then use another one. And it basically becomes kind of like a Mad Max <laughs> wacky, <laughs> wacky racist thing. Oh, my God. Um, and like, I just thought that was the coolest idea, but we could never find any like 
there's no story there. <laughs> like it's more like a first act or a B story, but like there's nothing there's no middle and end. Anyway, it's that like was my the, favorite idea that we had that we never did. The, it's a mad, mad, mad world it. parody. Yeah. At the end of that one, one season. You, you did touch upon briefly uh, in this. This is what I love about the transition. Uh, you mentioned the censors and the Simpsons at the it, it, in hindsight, because we were young growing up, it seemed like the Simpsons was a hot button controversial topic. But in hindsight, it, it, it quickly faded away from like being the target of a like watchdog groups yeah and yeah, it's kind of south park and all these other shows immediately became far more offensive yeah like what was that uh, it was like 1997 or whatever that south park came out of. like at the at that point it was like the simpsons was yeah very was very tame in comparison to what you'd be seeing on other animated shows yeah because in hindsight we were looking at the timeline and it's like ren and stimpy and beavis and butthead and like the simpsons only had like one year in the spotlight of like this show is not family friendly. Um, yeah, in hindsight, The Simpsons is, is kind of tame. It seemed to me more to me like now more honest uh, in the depiction of an American family. And- yeah, I think that like there was a. You guys were probably barely born when this happened, but if you remember, were you guys alive in nineteen eighty nine? I was. Yes. yes, seven. Okay. All right. Well, you may you may not recall that there was a incredible amount of outrage about married with children. Oh yeah. yeah. And like there was this Fox had just come on the air mm-hmm. and like was trying to make a name for itself by being outrageous. And there was this huge boycott organized by this woman named Terry Ricolta because married with children was so offensive. Of course, in retrospect, now it's not nearly as offensive as everything on the air. <laughs> but at the time, it was shocking. And I think and then The Simpsons came on and Simpsons was, I would say, less shocking than married with children. But the fact that it was a cartoon yeah. and people are so God. I would say it's only maybe within the past 10 years that people have realized that not all cartoons are for little kids. Yeah. At the time, people were like, this is a cartoon for little kids. How can it be? How can Bart be saying, eat my shorts? <laughs> and like, I think it was really, the outrage about The Simpsons was just mainly because people really thought that anything animated had to be for little kids. Yeah. And this kind of, it's Simpsons, it took The Simpsons 15 years <laughs> to break down that perception, you know. Yeah. I think to the to the Watchdogs' point, I, I love going through like uh, this, the commercials that aired on The Simpsons, and unlike Married with Children, it's for like toy jets mm, and video like games, and yeah. video games, and it, it did have marketing geared towards children. So I almost understand uh, the criticism. Oh yeah, and kids were watching it like crazy yeah. too. Like at the time, like The Simpsons would people seem to think that The Simpsons was this huge rating success, but that was only during that one year. Hmm. And like when when it knocked Cosby off Thursday night at eight, and it was like the first and second season. Mm-hmm. Then for the rest of the at least the time that we were there, The Simpsons is always number forty seven or fifty or sixty huh. in the weekly rankings. And even that, it was because we got every child, you know, basically every kid in America hmm. was watching The Simpsons, and some are grown ups. But that was <laughs> like it, it was just such a tidal wave of of kids and a, a small number of grown ups, and like barely anybody over thirty. So it was a weird. It was definitely a weird demographic. Yeah. That's, that's and my, we always. I always bring it up as, and I think we do too, is this this bridge of the gap between what our parents and we liked at the same time. My dad liked the show for different reasons, but we watched together on a one TV household. Back yeah, in those days. I think I think you guys lost my dad when you made fun of Rush Limbaugh in uh, <laughs> Sideshow Bob Roberts. But I was uh, I, I was curious with that uh, episodes like uh, the Lisa Lisa versus Malibu Stacy. Uh, you know, you talk about the kid audience, but those really you know dug into like 
Watergate. Uh, well, Watergate, <laughs> yeah. uh, feminism, representation, all this kind of like stuff that even even in the previous season, Simpsons didn't really wade into all that much. Uh, what was what was the push for you and Josh on that? Do you mean what was our? We just wanted to reach episodes that we wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Um, as but like nobody like if you're talking about like what did anybody compl- nobody complained because grown-ups yeah. weren't paying any attention huh. <laughs> that was the whole point like the weird thing was that very few adults were <laughs> were watching the show and or at least paying attention in any serious way i think back in those days and so like no, i don't know nobody complained about that stuff okay. and that's and that's sort of what i was wondering is like was there looking at these episodes what would have been the censor feedback what would they have wanted cut uh, during this period of, of the show that you were working on it it was all trivial stuff and mm. that was the thing that until we got to the um john waters episode um oh. it was every episode they would the censor would get it would the censor would be would be given a copy of like the, the, every stage mm-hmm. so they'd get a copy of the script and the recording and the animatic and the color screening and the final episode and at each stage they would send notes by fax over and the notes would almost always just be uh, two or three sentences mm-hmm. on a piece of paper and it would be like please delete or substitute for the word for Homer's use of the word ass please use this <laughs> please use discretion in depicting Homer's pants falling down <laughs> at the so and so like it was just stuff like that it was always just about nudity and, and sex <laughs> and um, sometimes about smoking like things of that nature they were perfectly reasonable it, what happened though is because the stuff the show the show was so rewritten so frequently mm-hmm. our general policy was just to ignore the notes and often by the time that the animation came back, the scene had been changed anyway, and mm. it didn't make any difference. That all came to a head when we, and I've told this story before, so I won't go into great detail, but when we did the gay episode, mm. it was a huge switch for them. Instead of sending us the two sentences worth of notes, it was <laughs> three solid pages of notes about every single mention really of everything having to do <laughs> with anything and then at the <laughs> end they were like the entire topic and substance of this episode is not suitable for broadcast wow. and they wouldn't let us they didn't want to do the episode at all and we were just like we didn't know what to do so we were just like okay well let's just ignore these notes like we ignore <laughs> every sensor note and continue to animate the episode wow. and got... then we did Go ahead, they came back 10 months later from korea and then by that time the fox president had been fired and replaced with a new president <laughs> and the one we just got one note back which was acceptable for broadcast oh, nice. and that was the end so it was a testament to just kind of well, keeping gotta, your head down and motoring through I, I know you've talked about it before but i we have a show where we point out 30 20 10 and that that episode is 20 years old as of about this recording wow it's 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 coming up on its 20th anniversary either this week or next yeah so we did just recently revisit it what was what were they so opposed to was it the presence of john waters or Homer's it atti- was, was it, Homer- it was the, and, and it was this, they were opposed to any mention of homosexuality wow. and wow. any any reference to the, to the to that topic and any anything having to do with it at all like the whole point of the episode they were mm-hmm. upset with and every single mention of the word of any word having to do, refer, referring to it they didn't want us to deal with this so with this topic why well, I just like say as a gay 14 year old watching that episode 20 years ago like i love i love that one very much and i i really appreciated that back oh I'm, I'm glad yeah and i guess they, it was worth it it ends they, up at the top of top 10 list all the time yeah 
I think the thing is that they just didn't at the time this was not this was way before Will and Grace. Yeah. This was when there were on television, if any. Mm-hmm. And especially which a show with that had such a large youth audience, mm-hmm. I think they were just terrified. And then the political climate in the network changed and they just said, Okay, fine. I don't know exactly what happened behind the scenes, but you know, it was definitely a transitional time. For television you mentioned working with the animation team uh so i did want to get into that a little bit like what was you know the, there's been other things that get into like the granular details of working with the director and then the animation team but like what was generally the communications between the writing staff and the the animators it was usually by with the directors like we had a rotating stable of like seven directors uh, at that point david silverman was supervising director and he managed the whole operation and then there were seven directors including like mike anderson and all these other dudes and, and Susie dieter who was our lone female director at that point and like the episodes they each would direct three episodes per season and we just kind of rotate through them and our main contact was with Silverman and with the director of the individual episodes. And the the director would be in charge of everything. So, like, we didn't – there were a lot of people, I mean, a, a really talented staff working at, at Film Roman on all the episodes. We didn't have that much contact with them, unfortunately. But there was, you know, th- there's different departments, like character design, prop design, background design, storyboards, coloring, and all that stuff. And so – Usually, it was just all the communication was kind of filtered uh, through the director, um, except with the story. Except for sometimes for storyboards, because we would have meetings to go over the storyboards with the people who had who had um, done them. So, um, Bill, it seems like in retrospect, with the seasons you ran with with Josh, I, I feel that you were trying to either close the door or end certain character stories. I can just think offhand of revealing that both um, Itchy and Scratchy, <laughs> uh, uh, not Sideshow Bob, but Skinner and Hans Springfield are all uh, frauds. And also uh, making Sideshow Bob a good character. These are all things that left an impact on the show. And, you know, di- divorcing uh, Kirk and Luann Van Houten. Did you want to leave an impact on the show in this way? It seems like you were ma- trying to make some big changes, maybe in preparation for the end of the show, or maybe just to leave your own stamp on the show. I don't think that we had intended, we intended to make any, I will say that we thought the show was going to be over within mm. a year of, of, everybody thought the show was going to be over. How, how many sitcoms go beyond eight or nine years? You know, virtually you can count them on two hands probably. So everybody felt like the show was running out of steam. This thing is going to be over really soon. Let's just have a lot of fun and do all the crazy episodes that we'd want to do in the final days of the series. Wow. And so that was, that was kind of our MO, at least in season eight. Uh, we did not intend to leave things all, you know, <laughs> we didn't intend to leave things all damaged and broken, as you seem to be implying. <laughs> no, 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 no. I actually like Sideshow Bob's change for the better, but it was always strange to see him just immediately revert back with no explanation in the next Sideshow Wait, Bob Sideshow episode. Bob? What are you talking about with Sideshow Bob? I don't remember what you're talking Are you talking about the... Um... Uh, the Sideshow yeah. Cecil episode. Yeah. By the end of it, he was still a good guy, right? Yeah. So Yeah, it was... Oh, well, we figured that would revert back. He okay. always revert back. Like... That one was just, I think we, it was our feeling that every season there should be an episode with Sideshow Bob. At least at that point, we were like, we were definitely kind of, we wanted to do things the way they had been done in the old days, which was like, every season you got to have one Sideshow Bob episode. Every season you got to have one Itchy and Scratchy episode. Every, you know, you got your Halloween episode, and then we always said, okay, also two crazy episodes, <laughs> or two format-bending episodes, like the spinoff or the 22 short films. And so we decided, like, the Sideshow Bob episode was not an attempt 
to tamper with his character. It was more just like, because Frasier was so big at that time, was yeah. a, a, an attempt to kind of leech off their success. Hmm. I feel like I noticed a change when, when you and Josh took over uh, with Homer. And I, I like both characterizations, but I'd say like seasons five and six, a lot of time I, uh, Homer came off as like an indestructible crazy person. But in seven and eight, he, he gets a little more normal or at least like down to earth. He's a guy who can't like explode and then be in the next scene. <laughs> yeah, so, that was our, I mean, I think that we covered this at the beginning of this podcast was that we kind of want like the more realistic version of the show and season three, I still believe that season three is the best season of any TV show of any time, any kind ever. <laughs> and that, by the way, I, we weren't even there for season three. So <laughs> I, I'm not like trying to blow our own horn on that side. I just think it was the perfectly constructed season. So when Josh and I took over, we literally sat down and said, okay, season three, how do they do it? Okay, here's, there's a Lisa episode. There's like the order of the episodes, the topics of the episodes. We were like, let's copy this. And then hmm. once we have that, you know, once we're able to copy it, we can sort of expand upon it. But it was our desire to take things back to season three hmm. um, with, with room for a, a little bit of expansion, like for crazy stuff like 22 short films. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the Poochie episode <laughs> did a lot of, like, commentary on the fan base, too. Like, did uh, you, you, I think I, I heard you and uh, Josh say in other interviews or commentaries that you were, like, the first Simpsons fans hired. Like, did that, is that kind of why you communicated more with the fans in the show or portrayed yeah. the fans more? Yeah, we were, like, we were huge <laughs> Simpsons fans mm. when we were hired. And so, like, it was, like, obviously it was a dream come true to work there and like we had obsessive you know we had collections of all the little figures and all the other merchandise in our office and we'd actually written some articles for simpsons magazine wow where we got hired and stuff and yeah it was a big deal for us and yes we communicated with the fans on alt tv simpsons <laughs> until, until it became so frustrating <laughs> to read that i canceled my internet account wow. it was like man you know this was back in the days when i had to learn i had to know learn a little bit of unix to actually <laughs> log on and we had like um i had an account through this i had to go through ucla and then got this account that was like a dial-up modem i had to have them install a special line in the office wow. that could use a dial-up modem a dial-up modem and, and um just standard old modem software whatever 1200 baud modem to read this news group and this was like uh what season four was still airing i guess and and I did have to use Unix to use it. And it was like, oh, boy, people are talking about the show. I like to see what they like. I like to see what they don't like. But then as time went on, it became kind of a nightmare. <laughs> it became the, oh, my God, I, I don't have to tell you guys. If you look through this SNPP and you see people's reactions, it's like even the most beloved episodes have of all time. Yeah. Maybe have 70% people liking them <laughs> and then the other 20% viciously hating them. Yes. And finding a lot of... um. Sometimes their critiques are valid, but the critiques are so, just, I would say, dispiriting. <laughs> and <then> finally, <laughs> after like, I don't know, a couple of years of that, I was like, forget it. And hmm. I just had them take out the motor. <laughs> I never looked at it exactly again. Exactly what I was wondering, because I, I don't know why negativity is the internet's resting state. Yeah. But it seems that, that, that The Simpsons maybe had one or two years where they didn't have to, cons like, they didn't have to consider internet immediate internet feedback do you were you one of the first people with internet in the office checking uh what the web was saying about the show yeah i i wasn't the first but i was the first person to do it from the office wow. i mean i recall the reason i even knew that this existed was because when we got hired there 
I think it was Jake Hogan. Somebody had, had given him a big pile of printouts. Wow. Like, and this was on fanfold computer paper uh. <laughs> you know, from the 80s. It, it was a big pile of printouts about comments from ep- episodes in seasons two and three from all TV Simpsons. And I was like, and it was just sitting in the office wow. in a pile of garbage. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> and and somebody was like, oh, people talk about the show on the computer. And we were like, what? <laughs> and so I was like, oh my God, how can I read this? And so that was how I figured out I got the Unix account. And then I was like, it was man. It was tough. It was, it, the people like this is what I discovered. I mean, I think people, even the most crowd pleasing comedy in the world, and let's say that that's something like Jay Leno, mm-hmm. has about sixty five percent of people going, "Oh, that's pretty good," or "I love it," or whatever. And then thirty five percent of people going from you know being uninterested to hating it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, like, even The Simpsons' most popular episodes, you, like maybe seventy to eighty percent of people would like them, and the other people would just tear them to shreds. And being the type of person I am, I would re- I would read with great interest <laughs> the tearing of shreds, and then I would be like, oh, it would just bum me out. And I think this is the you know this has been going on for twenty or twenty five years now with um, writers reading TV <laughs> criticism from Twitter and whatnot. In this era, did any of the feedback actually help you, or was it just a distraction from you know going with your gut or going with your writer's intentions? Well, the feedback was coming on episodes that we had already written 11 months earlier. Mm. So yeah. a little hard were, to yeah, respond to that. Um, it's also bec- the thing is that people don't agree. Like mm. people, it, it's hard to draw any conclusions from the, those posts because people don't agree. Some people love it when Homer, as you said, explodes and acts like an <laughs> asshole <laughs> and other people um, think it's the end of the world. And so it's, it's impossible to draw any broad-based conclusions except perhaps taking the score of the episode like, ooh, this one most people didn't like, this one most people did like, because there's always somebody who hates something and there's always somebody who loves something, mm-hmm. no matter what it is on these <laughs> those episodes. Well, do you ever have any uh, fans come up and tell you, like, I, I used to think Poochie or Frank Grimes or Armin Tamzarian ruined the show, but now I think it's one of the best episodes. Or I've I've changed my mind. Like, do you ever get that? I see that on I see that on Twitter sometimes, mm-hmm. and other times, you know, when I read like those things. My favorite things are those things on the um, AV Club where they do those re- those reviews of the old episodes. Yeah, and then you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah, those are great. Yeah, yeah those are fantastic. fantastic. But then after that. They're, the comments are so funny because people people repost yeah. a lot of the original Alt TV Simpsons comments from 20 years ago, and it, it just uh, it blows your mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. What do you think of like um, you know when you reflect on your legacy just with the Simpsons? Like, what do you think of the memification of the Simpsons? Because it was happening before uh, the website Frankiac went live last mm-hmm. year, but I'm seeing it even more now. Where, like, on Twitter or Facebook, people will just sum up yeah. a, a moment in pop culture or the news with a screenshot of the Simpsons. I just want to know if it's weird to just keep seeing jokes you wrote over 20 years ago <laughs> yeah. just flying in your face every day. I like it. I mean, I, I, as a fan, I personally use Frank Yak at least once a week. Those guys, <laughs> God bless those guys for making Frank Yak and making That's it beautiful. free. I still can't believe Fox has not shut them down, but yeah. <laughs> maybe Fox sees a little bit of upside mm-hmm. in having this uh, exist. I love it. As a fan, I'm always like, I'm rushing to Frank Yak <laughs> for my latest, <laughs> to make my latest criticism of, of Donald Trump or whatever, you know, <laughs> and, and finding the perfect gift for it. Is it weird? Yes. It's also weird not to get any money for it. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the most, I would say the thing that irks me the most is when someone is using my, is using something I wrote. 
um, mm. <laughs> as like their background or, or tweeting thing or, or as their quote, yet they don't follow me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> everyone, please follow Bill. Is it that yeah. Bill Oakley on Twitter? Well, no, I don't even care. If you don't follow <laughs> me. If you're using a scene from an episode I wrote as your wallpaper and a quote of something I wrote as your quote on Twitter. <laughs> it seems like the least you could do is follow me. You know? Citations are important. <laughs> so I'm just curious, Bill. Uh, I'm I will, I'd like to know what your favorite characters are to write. It seems like with you and Josh, you really enjoyed to get in the, into the specificities of a very mundane character. And I, I assume yeah. like Skinner might be your number one. But can you talk about the kinds of characters you like to write? My favorite character is Chalmers. It's always been Chalmers. <laughs> but I like Skinner as I love. Okay, Skinner is fun to write. As realistic Skinner, that all that stuff with him with the diet caffeine free Dr Pepper and. <laughs> And Joe, the fruit cocktail cup, all that stuff in that episode <laughs> is all drawn from real life, from all the teachers that Josh and I had in high school <laughs> who were just like that. And like, yes, that's fun to write. But the character of Chalmer, in fact, when we had Simpsons bowling shirts made, you got to put your favorite character's name on. on and mine was Ch- Superintendent Chalmers. <laughs> um, and the reason I like Chalmers is because he's the only sane guy in the town. And like, it's very much like Green Acres, which is a show I used to like as a little kid, where there's one sane guy, and he's surrounded by nuts. And like, that's Chalmers, like, and Chalmers, sometimes he gets a little crazy, but he and maybe Dr. Hibbert are the only sane guys in this town. And they have, in order to function, they have to just accept it. Like, that's the whole point of that, that Steamed Hams thing is like, Chalmers, he just can't believe that Skinner is attempting to get away with these lies, but eventually he just he doesn't care enough. Can I see it? (laughs) It's very much like dealing with Donald Trump, where it's like, (laughs) if a person is going to lie 99 times a day, eventually you're going to be so worn out, you're just going to say, okay, let's just move on to the next thing. And I guess Frank Grimes is the character who couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle being in a sitcom world. Exactly. We were, I mean, the whole point of that was like, well, first of all, it was to give Homer an enemy, and what's the op? a character who has all the opposite characteristics of Homer, but also anybody taking a realistic look at Homer mm-hmm. in that world would be appalled. <laughs> That's what Frank did. He came into the Homer's universe, he questioned it, and he paid the ultimate price. <laughs> <laughs> Death. Uh, so you guys left the, the Simpsons with the uh, Lisa Dumbening episode, which was such a, a sweet uh, last episode to go out on. What was... Did Mission Hill come right after that, or did you guys like kind of spend some time building up a show or pitching your own show to networks, you and Josh? That's a good question. I believe that we. This was again during the. This was during the waning days of the thing when any any idiot with a pencil could get a deal to create their own sitcom. So Josh and I were like, "Hallelujah, we <laughs> we got a deal, and we got a deal with Castle Rock Television." And I think that was the first thing. We had made up other pilots before that when we were working on The Simpsons that were live action, Mm -hmm. but they didn't go anywhere. I think we had done two or three, but that was our first animated thing. And we had that – the whole concept for Mission Hill was like to to fill in the gaps that The Simpsons uh, had, which is like The Simpsons didn't really have any characters between the ages of 12 and 30. (laughs) And we were like, that's a a golden area. So we were like, let's create the show that's – you know, we got a high school student. We got a 24-year-old. And so this show is going to do – we're going to do Simpsons-style comedy with a kind of like a underground comic vibe focusing on that time of one's life. Yeah, that show – And so, yes. Man, that show hit me I, too late. I didn't discover it till Adult Swim, and I had just moved to San Francisco, Hipsterville, as just a poor young person. And that show hit me real hard, man, mm-hmm. Mission Hill. Oh, I'm, gl- I'm glad. Like, yeah. that show had the most – we worked so hard on that show, and it had such a tortured – 
history yeah. because of the fact that it was on the WB. Like yeah. we sold this to the WB network, which of course nobody remembers now. Mm-hmm. At before they decided to become the Teenage Girl Network. Mm-hmm. Like at the time, they were like it seemed like they were going to kind of be Fox version two. Mm-hmm. But then between the time that we sold the Mission Hill and the time that it went on the air, they had Buffy and they decided Buffy Vampire Slayer and they decided we're going to be all teenage girl stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. So by the time we got on, we were like the weird redhead redhead stepchild and we were only on. What, where they broadcast this like two and a half times yeah, before they yeah. canceled us. It's, ag- it's the most infuriating experience of my life. That, that is kind of astounding. waste of money. I can't yeah. imagine. To invest more. millions into an animated series and then only show two and then just wash your hands of it. That's That must be incredibly frustrating. Why wasn't everybody fired? <laughs> I, I was, I mean, I don't know. It's crazy. that And, and fortunately, Adult Swim picked it up yeah. and, you know, whatever bargain basement price they got it for, they were able to run it 2,000 times. Yeah. And so people got to know what it, got to know it, which is I'm, I'm happy about. It was such a great show, but I, I wonder, did you guys feel? I think I had heard Gene and Reese talk about this too with the critic that when they left The Simpsons, they tried to do a show that was the opposite of The Simpsons, like they made Jay Sherman divorced. Mm-hmm. It was wasn't as happy. It was about a feat New Yorkers, like, and then they put some of their the, the show's short run to it not being The Simpsons. Did you guys maybe think you you regretted going outside of the simpsons or making it too different i don't know i don't think we would have want to copy we would have copied the simpsons although i think in retrospect we probably if we wanted if we were just interested in making money <laughs> which is a very valid concern you want to make a show about a family i mean like mm-hmm. look at the history of oh, yeah. animated shows since 1990 how many shows that weren't about a family succeeded wow yeah, guess, yeah. how many zero well, i guess yeah. south park i mean but that's still got a lot of family kind of stuff in it you know that's the thing it's such a weird thing to say but it's like that is people i guess want to see their own experiences yeah. reflected back at them or something i don't know it, I, I can't possibly fathom the reason that the only family shows succeed but they're much more likely to succeed mm-hmm. which is why you know every seth MacFarlane show is the is a somewhat similar version of the yeah. same template and they all succeed whereas everybody who goes out and tries to do a show like napoleon dynamite animated or whatever mm-hmm. you know sees the <laughs> writing on the wall very quickly. So, Bill, we don't have you for much longer, so I, I do want to go back to The Simpsons really quick. And I'm just curious as to uh, what do you consider your proudest addition to the show? Out, out of all the shows you worked on, what are you proudest of? I'm really proud of the steamed ham segments. Which, <laughs> of course, I, I, that's the only thing I ever wrote by myself on The Simpsons, too, because Josh and I wrote wow. two segments for that 22, 22 short films episode. So I really like the Frank Grimes. I know, I don't. I like the Frank Grimes episode, but I wouldn't say that it's my favorite and that I think some of the lesser episodes that are more just like family oriented and solid are the ones that I forget to mention. <laughs> I, I always, people ask me like, what are your favorite achievements? And I always say Frank Grimes, 22 short films. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I actually think I like some of the more family based episodes that I don't, that I always forget to say, mm-hmm. like the um, Hans Sprungfeld one, oh, yeah. which is kind of like a good Homer and Lisa one and a couple other ones like that. Margin the Chanel so, dress. <laughs> Yeah, I like that one too. I really like the grounded ones, but they don't spring to mind because they're not like as catchy in one's memory as those unusual ones. Did, did you know that any news story about Australia would somehow contain a reference to a show you'd written twenty years <laughs> <Yeah>. ago? <laughs> Dollary dues. Yeah. I'm happy. I, I was happy to see that this week. That just just this week, I was getting yeah. all these Twitter things with the um, uh, lots of scenes from that show. Uh. I mean, who thought? For God's sakes, who would have thought that, <laughs> that we'd come into conflict with Australia? That was the whole point of the episode, was how preposterous it would be. That's what we came up with that. It's like, what could Bart possibly, Bart versus Thanksgiving, Bart versus, you know, Bart versus everything. Well, what if Bart were to take on an entire continent? 
Yeah, Donald Trump whole, does need a booting. Like, and it's yes. like, well, what would be the most preposterous thing for Bart to come into conflict with? Australia, who's been our one of our staunchest allies for 100 years. <laughs> and then here it is happening in real life. I could, I could have sworn I saw a headline or a tweet that Trump plays knifey spoony with... Um... <laughs> I saw a lot Pretty of the... Sure I saw that too, yeah. I saw a lot of the... Um... The report of like Australia hurt feelings of yeah. document. I saw yeah, I think dossier. I retweeted a, a thing like oh, yeah. that. In it too. <laughs> or a, a petition to change their currency to dollar dues. So it's, I, I do love that episode. I really do. That, my favorite thing in that episode is the stamp. That's 25 years of electricity. One final question for you. Uh, I'm just curious <laughs> as to when we talk about The Simpsons, we talk about a lot of familiar names. You and Josh, of course, uh, John Swartzwelder. I'm just curious, though, who do you think is the unsung member of The Simpsons, the, the writer, performer, uh, any member of the staff who never really gets talked about and you feel like they should be mentioned? Well, the, OK, the most sung and deservedly so are George and Swartzwelder. Mm-hmm. I would say the most unsung. I mean, this is aside from the showrunners, just say the writers. Mm-hmm. It would be John Vitti. Um, mm. John Vitti wrote was the solid, like as much as you would go to Schwarzwelder or George for the off the wall, crazy joke that nobody had ever heard before. You would go to Vitti for the incredibly solid episodes, like Lisa's substitute mm. with the heart and the, um, the heart and the comedy and the soul and the down to earthness, groundedness yeah. that off, especially in a universe like the Simpsons. So I would definitely say John Vitti. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Bill. You are my favorite writer, and you wrote my favorite episode with Josh, which is Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 1. So uh, hey, thank you for doing that. And thanks for joining us. Is there anywhere we can find you or anything you want to promote that you're working on currently? All the stuff I'm working on right now is secret. Ah. But uh, I think you'll find out about You'll know what I'm talking about when it starts. you start hearing about it in about six months. Excellent. Um, anybody who wants more details on that kind of stuff should follow me or Josh on Twitter. I am that Bill Oakley on Twitter. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Bill. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening to that interview. Man, that was fun. Yes, that was great. And I hope you got a lot of great info out of it. Bill was great. Uh, Great interview. Lots of great stories. Super nice to us. More than open to anybody from The Simpsons who would like to talk to us. And we should probably reach out a little more. I mean, I know... Henry has, and yeah. I, I just I haven't certainly. Well, I'm hoping this, you know, now we can just say, well, we had Bill Oakley. I so. hope the listeners don't hate us for breaking form. <laughs> I don't. How could they hate us? Because yeah, if we're going to talk oh, for 90 minutes about a 20 minute episode, <laughs> how are you not going to like Bill Oakley <laughs> really, talking about yeah. the Simpsons for an hour? So thank you so much for listening. Next week we'll be digging into the beginning of season five with Homer's Barbershop Quartet. Still Maybe production season four, though. I mean, come on, but still it's season five of the show's run. A Beatles fan's delight. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, again, I've been your host, Bob Mack. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. Mm-hmm. I also host the classic gaming podcast Retronauts. That's every Monday at Retronauts.com, a new episode about a classic gaming topic. Mm-hmm. If you've never heard the show before, please listen to the Bart versus the Space yeah. Mutants episode that I did <laughs> with Henry and Chris. We talked about that terrible game for 50 minutes, mm-hmm. and I think it, we definitely made the most of it. So Basically uh, a Talking Simpsons episode. Yeah. It, is, it is a perfect entry point into the world of Retronauts. Excellent, excellent episode, I think. And you can find me on uh, in my writing i do work for fandom at fandom.com and for something awful at somethingawful.com uh, comedy and video game writing anything you can want i'm at h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g on twitter please follow me uh and i really would appreciate that that's where i tweet out a lot of things but you can find my writing mostly about video games on fandom as well fandom.com i'm still part of the laser time family and again you know we plugged it a ton of the front but seriously yeah. patreon.com slash laser time a great way to support this this wouldn't exist without that and 
$5 a month gets you access to that first season and our, all the season wrap-ups, including the yeah. brand new season 4-1, which is out very soon. And we've done uh, exclusive stuff for other shows. Uh, 30, 20, 10, our chronological breakdown of this week in pop culture history, 30, 20, and 10 years ago, also has a season or year, mm-hmm. tri-year wrap-up on Patreon, as well as uh, Cheap Popcast, the wrestling show, a weekly uh, uncensored uh uh, non-advertised <laughs> bonus time where you can get exclusively there in addition to like over 50 full-length movie commentaries video commentaries of cartoons and wrestling matches just really fun stuff we try and offer to people who uh, it, like help us survive and do this for a living awesome so yes please let Bill Oakley know at that Bill Oakley on Twitter that you liked hearing him on the show and we'll see you next week with a brand new episode see you then infotainment.